This is The Playbook. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Thankful Thursday, Friday training. Thank you so much to our Friday training. It's Ask Me Anything Day, so we're going to train by getting those questions. If you need any more info, just feel free to reach out and we can get you that. So, Dave, my question here is, of course, you've done so many interviews while you're on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. You've done uh, 20-plus on Wednesday, and then you'll be doing more today here today. What is the most important thing and the most important aspect why you're being interviewed, and how can you really bring that to light, um, not just in the sports in the sports world, but what, uh, what what's the most important aspect of, of being interviewed? Yeah, well, first of all, knowing yourself, as we talked about with Sally there. So understanding uh, the lessons that you want to get across that are resonating with you and hopefully are resonating with the audience specific to the interview that you're doing. And so I look at the lessons and then the stories uh, because that's the best way that not only people learn, but it's also the way that we find out the frequency or find out what resonates with those people's and stories are the best way to share those lessons. And for me, uh, it goes both ways, whether I'm being interviewed or giving an interview. Uh, for example, I was with Bob Parsons, uh, who is the founder of GoDaddy. And uh, we had just an extraordinary conversation. And I took away a nugget from a lesson from him. He's a great storyteller. Obviously, you don't, you know, have such a business as GoDaddy. I think, you know, he exited for 4 billion or more, but you don't build a business like that if you don't know how to tell stories and teach lessons. So I asked him a questions about loving yourself and loving what you do. And I thought he was going to give me the standard answer of the billionaires, millionaires, everyone out there, right? If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. But instead, he changed my life with one simple answer. And for me, uh, having that, whether it's shared by me or shared by him or reshared by me or reshared by him, is the true objective of an interview. And it's to resonate with those that are listening for. And what he said to me was, David, if you love what you do, and this applies to loving yourself, but if you love what you do, it will tell you all its secrets. I'm going to repeat that so it sinks in. If you love what you do, it will will tell you all its secrets. We love ourselves and we learn all the secrets and we love what we do and we learn all the secrets. That's the subtleties of success. That's the differentiator of the empty mouth. That is the passion, the purpose, and the profitability lies within the secrets which everyone else is in and participating in the activity. So you look at people that are in different industries, careers, and jobs and wonder, how is it? that they figured that out to get to a point in their life. I will tell you how, because if you love what you do, if you learn to love what you do, if you learn to love yourself, if you can find the light, the love and the lessons in everything that you do, if you can do that, it will tell you all the secrets. And those secrets are the secret sauce. Those are the quantitative differentiators in success in the trajectory of what you think you want, accelerating, compounding, and aggregating upon itself. And so I want people to love themselves and to learn what love what they do or love what they do. So it will tell you its secrets. And those secrets are the most valuable of all aspects of an interview. Uh, so thank you, Jake. What a great question. 
All right, let's keep this uh, rocking and rolling. I'm going to take a question online, resetting the room. I'm here in Arizona at the Super Bowl. Come meet me at 1230 today by the convention center. Let's invite more people to join us. So go ahead and press the plus sign. But I'm going to take this question here. There's so many um, that we have. All right, here we go. Do you find that physical health is tantamount to being successful? My physical health, being healthy, is my number one non-negotiable. I've said this a million times and I'll repeat it because I don't know if it's synced into everyone. If you're healthy, you get a million, a billion, an infinite amount of wishes. If you're unhealthy, you only have one wish. Your health is a tantamount, as you said, quantitative reflection of how at ease or in the flow you are living. So many people live their life trying to get at ease instead of to clear what puts them at dis-ease. And so putting my health first by having daily practices in a minimum amount of time as a dependent variable to all of my activities and my objectives, a tantamount determinative of all dependent variables of matter and subjective matter, physical health is tantamount tantamount to everything, not just success, but passion, purpose, and profitability. It is tantamount to acceleration, compounding, and aggregation of what you want. Uh, so please prioritize your health. I always say if you don't prioritize your health, it'll always uh, lag far behind your family and finance. You'll never want to take care of your physical health. If you prioritize your family and finance, you'll never have time or never prioritize it unless it's extremely convenient. Uh, so Please uh, do so. All right, Jay, we have one in the webinar now. We're rocking and rolling. We're getting it heated up. Who do we got uh, here that would like to ask a question? Perfect. Dave, before we bring on a question from Clubhouse, there's a great question on the webinar that I'd love to ask so we don't miss it. The question is, uh, how, how do you repair your communication issues with your spouse? If you can answer that, and then we'll come back on Clubhouse. So it's interesting of you know, repairing communication. Uh, so uh, I prefer to use a different vocabulary or vernacular, right? What I want to do is heal my relationship through communication, right? And so if I, through my communication, whatever type of communication it may be, have created dis-ease between me and those that are most relative to me or those that are most relative, like my intimate partner, then what I want to do is heal that. And so the way that we heal it is through the five levels of intention by making sure that we understand what to do to heal it, what to say to heal it, what to think to heal it, what to believe to heal it, and how to feel about it to heal it. And the only way that we can do that is to ask, right? And forgive ourselves as we find out you know, what did I do? What did I say? What am I thinking? What am I believing? Or what am I feeling that's creating this dis-ease between you and I? Because I want to prioritize the healing of our relationship because you are most relative to me. As I learn how to communicate in all five levels of intention in order which to clear the dis-ease that we've created and take you know, gratitude, find the light, the love, and the lessons through these questions. We also want to forgive ourselves, uh, which will allow the other person as well to forgive us. 
we also be accountable on all three levels of number one, you know, I'm responsible for what I did, said, thought, believed, and felt. I'm also utilizing the laws of attraction, right? Through what I did, said, thought, believed, and felt, I've attracted this disease. And then finally, through the questioning and understanding and relieving of the disease, I am now participating in your perception of what I did, said, thought, believed, and felt. And if I utilize accountability in all three stages, then I can heal the disease that I've created, hopefully unintentionally, but even if it was intentional, and our objective in these relationships with people that are most relative to us is to meet people where they're at and understand that it wasn't what we did, said, thought, believe, or felt, but it's what they heard or they reacted to their participation in the perception because sometimes it's not what we say or everything believe or feel, it's what they have reacted to, and what their perception is, which is completely unintentional. And it's not even close to being aligned uh, with what we wanted to communicate uh, in, in, in any of those five levels of attention. So uh, why don't we shift your paradigm from uh, communicating to instead creating and dissipating, dissolving the dis-ease of the five levels of intention so that we can heal that disease and create a greater ease and flow connection of being a resource to that person who is intimate to us, that person's that's so relative to us. And when we are a resource, we then know that we have the light, the love, and the lesson coming through us. And now we're effectively utilizing the intention and also having it received in the light, the love and the lessons in which we meant uh, to do, say, think, believe and feel it. What great questions so far. We're rocking and rolling, Jake. Uh, why don't we bring on another question? Who do we got? Oliver, Oliver. So if you want to close that, David, your question. You're breaking up, Jake. So I assume you have Oliver. Go ahead. Friday, Team Meltzer. Can you guys hear me all right? I can hear you great. Thank you. Fantastic. So my question is, ego is commonly viewed as a negative personality trait. I'm curious to hear, is there a certain amount of ego that can be applied in a positive manner, maybe as a motivator? Yeah, so there's nothing that's good or bad. It's how it's utilized. And so when we understand that part of our being our conscious being is the ego-based consciousness that's there to protect and promote us physically, uh, created there to when there's danger, to run away from it, to fight it, uh, to make sure that we're fed. Basically, it's a survival mechanism. So whenever we're utilizing and aligned with surviving, the ego is extremely valuable. It's extremely good. But unfortunately, we get mistaken what threats are. And so when we have a dinosaur, when we have a dinosaur, when we have a dinosaur that imposes a utilization of the ego, or we look off the top of a sky rise and it tells us don't jump, we're utilizing ego as it was intended. But when we care about what other people think, or think that we know what other people think and care about it, 
and participate in a perception, which is none of our business, or it's impossible to understand or perceive what people think, then we're utilizing the ego at a threat that is not real. So I look at the ego, not as good or bad, but as a tool to utilize by protecting me from real threat and stopping it when it misinterprets the threat from accelerating me in the wrong direction by fleeing from something that isn't an attack, by fighting something that isn't an attack, by feeding something that isn't an attack, or by procreating something or co-creating something that isn't an attack. The four functionalities of the ego, to fight, to flee, to feed, or to fornicate, procreate, procreate. And so many people have attached their philosophy of ego to a negative connotation of being superior or narcissistic instead of understanding the utilization of the ego-based consciousness and utilizing the ego for what it is intended for, which is real threats of harm or danger, not perceived and not participatory in a perception that isn't real. And if I can get people to identify the difference, they then can utilize the ego to motivate and protect instead of to punish and to waste time, emotion, value, money, and relationships. And so there is a practice, Oliver, of identifying fear. The practice of identifying fear allows us to participate in the correct perception of impending threats of real or perceived. And if we can utilize and distinguish that in minutes and moments, instead of days, weeks, months, and years, we can actually effectuate greater acceleration, compounding aggregation towards the trajectory of what we think we want. Too many people, number one, think of the ego as negative or superior or narcissistic. And two, they focus their attention on the ego itself instead of the impending fear to determine how to utilize the gift of the ego to either motivate, to get us up, get us back started, started or back started or back up, instead of to utilize the ego to get out of our own way. Sometimes we're fleeing from the wrong things by utilizing our ego in the wrong way. Uh, excellent question. It's a primary focus of mine. It's a daily practice of mine every single day to practice identifying fear and then spending minutes and moments in it by stopping, dropping, or rolling. Uh, and I have created an exercise for everyone in the practice of identifying fear and the utilization of the ego to either motivate or to get out of your own way. And so if anybody wants that, it's one of the greatest practices that I have. I'm happy to email you that as well for free. David at dmeltzer.com. Go ahead and email me for the practice of identifying fear and the utilization of fear document and exercise that I've created for everyone. Uh, thank you, Oliver. All right, Jake, go ahead. Uh, reset. Uh, the room, and let's take another question. Resetting the room. Can you hear me okay, David? I can hear you now. Awesome. Resetting the room. Thank you for your question, Oliver. Welcome, everyone. I am just going to reset the room. We are in the Breakfast with Champions. This is David Meltzer's hour here. 
He's been doing free Friday training for over 23 years. This week's topic is BYOQ. So you bring your question and Dave will bring the answer. If anyone has a question that they'd like to ask, just feel free to raise your hand or back channel me. Let's continue to share the room here on Clubhouse. You can do that at the bottom. There's a little arrow with the square. You push that, you can share in your messages. You can share on Clubhouse on Facebook, on Twitter. So continue to share the room. And as Dave mentioned, if anyone would like any of his trainings or guides or even a free book he pays for shipping, just feel free to email him, david at dmelzer.com, david at dmelzer.com. So Dave, I'll pass it back over to you to take a question from the webinar, and then we'll come back on Clubhouse to take a question here. Terrific. Yeah, no, I'm happy always to send my book, so I will pay for the book and shipping, not just the shipping, Jake. So too many people pay for one or the other, and then they end up covering the cost of either and or. Uh, and so I prefer just to empower people with whatever dummy tax that I paid, which is why I write these books and, and send them out as well. So thank you so much. Uh, so many great questions here. Uh, let me go ahead and grab, I wasn't prepared uh, to do that. I thought we were moving somewhere else. Let me go ahead and take one here. Hold on one second. Thank you here. How can someone utilize the stage theory to build a community for their band brand? Look, you know, whether you understand branding or not, uh, we have a huge renaissance uh, at our fingertips and it's a renaissance of community. Uh, we have never ever had the access to so many people that are like-minded, like-hearted and like-handed. We have never been able to communicate effectively with so many people that are in our frequency, or our neighborhood. Our neighborhoods have grown from the foursome at the golf course, a church group, a card group, uh, or you know some kind of little league uh, team uh, interaction into a world and global community where when we know our essence, when we know who we are and we learn to love it, as Sally suggested before we got here, when we learn to know our skills, our knowledge and our desire, which to me are quantitatively the easiest ways to start the process of learning and loving who we are. I am my skills. I am my knowledge of not only what, but who, and I am my desires. And when I can identify my skills, knowledge, and desire, then I create a community utilizing all the different ways that we can build or find or resonate or attract or connect with that community by communication in person, on the phone, via email and media, traditional media and social media. And all of those, including social media, can be repurposed again. In other words, the whole world is our stage. And our whole world is our stage changes our ability to be ourselves. Because if all we were going to have is a, you know, clan in the middle of the Masai Marai, and there's only 30 people in my community as a total addressable community, then the state's theory wouldn't apply. And neither would, believe it or not, the ability to communicate my essence because it would become very detrimental to have beliefs that were not aligned with a 30-person community. But when there's 7.6 billion or 8 billion people in the total addressable community, it's so freeing to know that if I know my skills, my knowledge of who and what and my desires, that there is a tribe 
out there for me. And my vibe determines that tribe. And my vibe is determined by my essence. And my essence is determined by my skills, my knowledge of who and what am I desires. And so that is why Shakespeare and the stage theory has to be reminded, recollected, and remembered every single day that, hey, wait a second, what you think of me is none of my business. Those who resonate with me and vibrate with me and are on my frequency do make a difference in my life and are part of my community and my neighborhood and the higher the vibration or frequency by having clarity, balance, and focus on my skills, my knowledge, and desire will determine the size, scope, and scale and the acceleration of that community of shared, like-minded, like-hearted, and like-handed people. In order to effectuate that, we have to remind, remember, and recollect as well that the whole world is our stage. And utilizing that to build a community by presenting our essence, our skills, knowledge, and desire by talking, thinking, believing, feeling in person on the phone via uh, the phone and traditional and, and social media and capturing all of it. And then we can modify it again, amplify and perpetuate it. But that's a whole nother story. All right, Jake, we have so many questions rocking and rolling. You direct me to where the best questions are. I will grab them. We have hundreds in here. So I'm excited uh, to be here with everyone. We're at the Super Bowl. Jakey Bakey and I are enjoying uh, the Eagles' uh, hopeful victory on Sunday for all of you uh, Patrick Mahomes fans. That's our prediction. But more importantly, we'll be here in person to help everyone come join us by Convention Center 1230 today. Jake, go ahead and uh, let's take another question. Where should I go? Thank you, Jake. Thank you, David. So um, I, I spent 20 years in the schools. It was the Columbine shooting that prompted me to, to become a school counselor because I thought that was such a game changer when it comes to dis-ease, as you put it. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I've created a way to demystify the inner world and just break it down to these three levels, green, yellow, and red, which is really, really helpful for kids, especially young men. To just be able to point at one of these three levels and, and give me clarity about where they are inside and also like what to do to help them so with um like my biggest breakthrough is that we can be super proactive with this we can actually get kids dialed in to the green and yellow zone with um with just being proactive with our ease you know as you're putting it contagious ease i, I think is what we can spread to to combat the dis-ease that's out there but what I see definitely during the pandemic and after is that there's a lot of people that are stuck high yellow or even in the red zone. And that kind of explains a lot of the issues and challenges that have gotten worse lately. What do you, what do you think is one of the ways to accelerate uh, and, and be more proactive with keeping people in that green zone and really optimizing mental health instead of just being in a reactionary mode? Yeah, I think it is relative to what I was talking about earlier. If we can take a step back uh, and identify, you know, let's just start with two primary things that create disease, especially in children. Uh, and where I like to focus when I'm teaching my own children and their friends and other people at schools that I speak with is let's just start, number one, understanding, identifying fear. And there's two basic fear, fears, especially in children, um, that can start the process and practice of identifying fear. And then we can hone it down uh, to more subtleties in these two different practices. 
So the two greatest fears that people face is the fear of the past and the fear of the future. And to identify those fear, uh, we can identify feelings that are relative or related to or aligned with the fear of the past and the fear of the future. The fear of the past, most kids and most people, uh, it manifests itself or it is identifiable by guilt and regret. And so I teach children, hey, look, if we want to stay in the green zone, we got to figure out when the stoplights are there. And the stoplights are fear. And the fear that we have uh, of the past is guilt and regret. And those are interferences or dis-ease to our natural homostasis of ease, of knowing and being protected and promoted by a source, an omniscient, all-powerful, knowing source, no matter what religion, philosophy, spirituality, or theories you believe in, I try to instill the idea that we're better off believing that there's something bigger than us that loves us more than our moms, that is omniscient, all-powerful, and all-knowing, and is always protecting and promoting us. And when we can identify the guilt and the resentment or regret that uh, occurs by the past, and we can identify that and stop and breathe and say to ourselves, I am protected and promoted by this mistake, setback, failure of my past. And instead of accelerating in that wrong direction by listening to what other people think about my mistake, failure, setback, void, shortage, or obstacle, or putting my attention and intention on the mistake, failure, setback, you know, uh, all, all these different things that we do, it's counterproductive. I'm going to stop, breathe, remind, remember, and recollect. I'm being protected and promoted. That pain is an indicator. I have a better place to be, and I'm going to start rolling into that better place. So I get children to identify the primary fear of past and then utilize the stop, drop, and roll mechanism in order to put them back at ease in minutes and moments instead of days, weeks, months, and years. And then I look at the other big fear of especially children, which is the future, which we know uh, as much as the feeling of regret and guilt are attached to the past as a fear, uh, anxiety, uh, which is on an upward trend, as you know, and I know, especially within children, which creates depression, void shortages, obstacles, and more mistakes. When we can identify anxiety of the future, which is the primary feeling of the future that we get when we are in fear-based consciousness, ego-based consciousness, and then replicate the same process to say, I'm feeling anxious, but instead of trying to outlogic it, analyze it, go over it, under it, through it, around it, instead of trying to deny it, just stop and remind, remember, and recollect it. Remind, remember, and recollect to the fact there's something bigger than you, regardless of your religion, spirituality, theories, or, or, or philosophies, and just stop. Just stop, remind, remember, recollect, and then ask yourself, what is it I do want? Not what I don't want. Why am I listening to what other people think? Because what other people think is none of my business. All it's going to do is create more disease because they're not me. And their participation in my perception, perception is as much of an impossibility as my participation in theirs. And theirs in mine. And so if I can start with children especially and teach them, look, there's two types of fears that we have to start practicing to identify so that we can remind, remember, and recollect what we are and who we are as a resource and then roll into a trajectory of what we think we want in the future. 
by doing our best and learning lessons and having fun. It's amazing how quickly the practice of identifying two fears, one of the past and one of the future, can change their lives and can create a minute and moment practice. And instead of spending days, weeks, months, and years in anxiety, regret, and guilt, they're spending it in ease as a light, liberating their light and other people around them's light. Instead of being influencers, creating disease, the flu, they become influencers, spreading the joy, the light, the love, and the lessons that they've learned by a practice of ending fear, by starting by identifying the fear of the past and the fear of the future. And I know I'm speaking to a lot of people who are empowering children out there and understand our future relies on it, but maybe we should practice it ourselves because you can't give what you don't have. What an extraordinary question and what an extraordinary mission you're on in alignment and symbiotic with mine as well. So if there's anything I can do to help you in that mission, if I can send books to all your kids or the exercises of identifying fears of the past and the future, I would be more than happy to do that as well to assist you in your extraordinary efforts. So thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for the question and for the mission that you're on. Jake? Thank you so much, David. You got it, my friend. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right, Jake, where is the questions? Where do you want me to take them? There's tons of them everywhere. <laughs> you, you got it. Let's uh, Dave, take a question if you can from the webinar, and then we will take a question here from Willie when we're back on Clubhouse. All right. Free Willie next. Where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, I'll take a quick question about the most overlooked component uh, in our lives. And it says, uh, how do you establish credibility? Um, credibility is established by the truth, not by overselling, backend selling, lying, manipulating, and cheating. Credibility is the most important thing when we're communicating with others. Just think about how important credibility is because if you look at the ultimate credibility of being 100% credible, if I was, and I never have been, if I was 100% credible, if I live within the light, if I live within the truth, if I had some sort of power of omniscient, all-powerful meaning, instead of living in the radical humility, the ignorant humility that I live in today, that I don't know what I don't know, that's probably the only credible statement that I do make that is 100% credible. But if I was 100% credible in everything that I said, for example, if I was, which I'm not 100% credible in saying, hey, anyone that wires me, a million dollars today, I will wire you back $2 million next Friday. If I was 100% credible, every single person within my voice would find a way to get a million dollars if I was 100% credible. So one of the key lenses or toothbrushes or fine tooth combs that I utilize is I do my best to review uh, what I'm saying, doing, thinking, and believing with a fine tooth comb of credibility because I know the greater percentage of credibility that I have, the greater percent of an aligned outcome I'll receive. And so when you're pitching something, when you create a deck, when you're on a phone call with your family, when you're doing some sort of business transactions or interactions, remind, remember, and recollect how important it is to be truthful, to be credible to yourself knowing that you'll never be 100% credible, knowing that the only statement of 100% credibility that you can make is I don't know what I don't know, but here is my best guess. 
or here's where I think I want to be. And I'm willing to do everything I can, learn everything I can and have fun doing it by enjoying the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of my potential in that truth, that potential being my truth. I know that it gets overlooked all the time. So many people think they need to tell people what they need to hear or do what people need done to be pleasers. You don't. You need to focus in on your truth, your potential, understanding your skills, your knowledge of who and what, and your desire. By doing your best learning lessons and having fun in the context of ignorant humility and to relieve yourself of ignorant arrogance that costs you so much more than you ever would imagine. The ignorant, arrogant ones out there either are trying to attack, judge, create void shortages and obstacles for us by pretending they know what they don't know. Or they may love us so much that they're more afraid of us than they are for themselves. And therefore, they don't even know intentionally. They know only unintentionally that they're living in ignorant arrogance because they don't know what they don't know, but they care so much about us and love us so much that they're going to give us advice that is not aligned with our potential or our truth. Out of love. Love, but based out of fear for us. A fear that's greater than in for themselves. An anxiety, a fear created about our futures. So they're going to tell us, don't take this job, take this. Don't do and date this person, date this person. Go to college, don't go to college. Eat your broccoli, don't eat your broccoli. They don't know. They don't know. But they love us so much and care for us so much. And they're so afraid for us, more afraid for us than they are for themselves that they actually end up creating interference and disease for us by pretending without credibility that they know what they know. That's called ignorant arrogance. Live in ignorant humility. Seek 100% credibility. Establish it by seeking your truth through your skills, your knowledge, your desire, and identify those who also are living in the same quest of ignorant humility. You don't know what you don't know, I promise you. You don't need to pretend like you do. All right, Jake, that was one more question. Where's the next one? Why don't we reset the room? We're more than halfway there. Go ahead and reset the room for me. More than halfway there. Thank you so much, Dave. We are here in the Breakfast with Champions. Welcome, everybody. Dave's been doing training for over 23 years. Today's topic is BYOQ. You bring your questions. If you have any questions that you don't get a chance to ask on this training this week, feel free to just email David. He's happy to answer them. His email is david at dmelter.com. David at dmelter.com. And I just want to remind everybody, we are here at the Super Bowl in Phoenix. If you'd like to join today, Dave is doing a free meetup at 12.30 p.m., at the Phoenix Convention Center at the South Building. We would love to see everybody there. So, Dave, I will, uh, let's bring on a question here on Clubhouse from Willie. Willie's been waiting patiently. So, welcome, Willie. What is your question today? Good morning, gentlemen. David, happy Friday, my friend. Thank you. Happy Friday. Uh, good to hear from you. Excellent stuff so far. My question today when you are within your community, working with people that are close to you, as we kind of, you know, speaking from my experience, Sometimes I'm in the flow. Sometimes I fall out of it. And, you know, as I seek to find others that are on that same frequency, you know, how, what kind of questions do you ask people, you know, as you are engaging in new relationships, what are the important, easy questions to know out of the gate? Are they open-minded a and B how can you maybe influence or inspire through questions? Yes. Well, first of all, you nailed my first pre-qualifier. So I know you've been at least listening uh, through me as well, which is 
I make sure that I qualify people as having an open mind. Uh, statistically, it's the greatest way uh, to be able to inspire, to connect to and through people, to be a resource of the great source. So for me, uh, I find out through a very open-ended question or comment if someone has an open mind. I do know, and I repeat this for everyone, that everyone has an open mind at a certain time. So I establish a repetitive ask, uh, determinative upon time to find out if someone has an open mind, if the scenario allows me to do so. So if I'm going to an annual, weekly, monthly occurrence and I can see the same people, I'm not necessarily going to push my agenda of open-minded connectivity or inspiration with someone who has a closed mind at that time, because you never know. Right? I had uh, one of my associates, the president of my company, lose her grandfather. And it was going to do me no good to go ahead and approach some sort of business objective with her uh, because her mind was closed. Now, she's one of the most open-minded people that I know, but it just wasn't the right time. And I always say that we waste too much time with closed minds. And we need to create and practice finding those open minds by asking questions like, how are you looking in their eyes, smiling, seeing if we get a smile back or making a joke to them, right? An open mind, uh, even if the joke's not funny, is going to laugh or smile at you or make a positive comment. You know, for example, I'm walking around here and we're at the Super Bowl. We're going to meet everybody at 1230 just as a reminder. But anyone that's wearing chief stuff, I'll say, did you get that on sale? And most of the people laugh. People from Kansas City are so nice, so open-minded the majority of the time. It's a collective consciousness. If you've ever been to Kansas City compared to other cities in the United States or around the world, you know, try to do that in Paris. You might get spit on or <laughs> generally speaking. But you can find open minds everywhere by simply asking questions of open-mindedness, looking people in the eyes, smiling, or joking with them. And then once you find there's an open mind, then all you need to do is ask a question of interest. Be more interested than interesting. Ask a question of interest pertaining to a subject matter that you want to talk about. Whether it's, you know, anxiety or solar or thought leader or writing books or podcasts, TV shows, movies, clubhouse, jeans, shoes, socks, whatever you are more interested than interesting about, bring up that subject matter with an opening question by asking, what do you think about it? Or what are you doing about it? Or what do you believe about it? Or how do you feel about it? Or what do you have to say about it? So if we work through the five levels of intention in the auspice of sharing an objective of a topic or subject matter that we're more interested than interesting about, we then can facilitate understanding the emotional and the logical connectivity between us and them. And we will learn what they like about it and what they don't like about it. Why is that so important? So if we find an open mind and we talk through or ask questions with the five levels of tension is, what are you doing today about solar? What are you saying today about solar? What are you thinking today about solar? What do you believe today about solar? And how do you feel about solar? What do you like about solar? And what don't you like about solar? Now we can articulate a quantitative value to exceed what they're asking for because a quantitative value of what we're trying to inspire or be in spirit or connected, aligned, supplementary, or synergistic to objectives or trajectories that we have in our lives is simply by giving someone more of what they like and taking away what they don't like. 
So we simply say, will it help you if? And then we quantify that help by determining how much of what we're giving more of or taking away what they don't like of. And then we have an opportunity to have a mutual value exchange in a world of more than enough, not a scarce world, by determining can we articulate now that value to exceed what we're asking for, either in the currency of money or the currency of good deeds or any other currency that exists out there. What is a currency? It's energy and motion. And so when we facilitate this open-minded, open-ended question guide to determine how we can provide value, either by getting more of what people like or taking away what they don't like and being able to articulate that quantitative value, it then opens up our vessel by giving away, right? We're appreciating the alignment. We're acknowledging the alignment by giving them away either more of what they want or taking away what they don't want. Now we are able to ask for more. Do you know anyone that can help us? And if we utilize the open-minded, open question guide in the levels of intention that are indicated by the topic or subject matter that we are most interested about, you will find a statistical success that you've only dreamed of. And everything, including your relationships, your business, your health, will be at ease. And money will follow you. Relationships will follow you. Your frequency will be elevated. Your vibration will be elevated. And you'll have a brand new neighborhood of options, opportunities, and touches of favor that you've never experienced before. If anybody wants that guy, the open minded, open-ended question guy that has changed not only my life, but thousands of people's lives in all aspects or subject matters or topics of their life to allow you to live in a value-add world, not a zero-sum game of scarcity, but one of abundance of more than enough of everything for everyone, just email me. I promise you this exercise, it's free, it's we. Email me, david at dmelter.com. This exercise of open-minded, open questions will change your life. Where there's a will, there's a way. Hopefully, Will's using our way and creating a flow every single day. I'm going to start rhyming and rapping pretty soon. Uh, if you didn't see, Michael Chandler and I are going on tour together before the McGregor fight and the Ultimate Fighter show that uh, we're working on. We're going to go on a rap tour together. So join us. The I middle was going to say, you sound like a rapper this morning, David. <laughs> exactly. I'm a middle-aged mutant rapper derived, right. derived from the Sugar Hill Gang early on in the, in the 80s. Thank you. Somebody recognizes it. Pure okay, rapping okay, talent. <laughs> Well, Will, th thank you, Will, uh, so much. That's one of my favorite epiphanies of the last few months, being able to teach that uh, you, in the way. You're awesome. Appreciate you. Vice versa. All right, we got 15 minutes left, Jake. Reset the room. Remind everyone we're at the Super Bowl and not to be jealous, just to come visit us at 1230 today. Remind them to email me, david at dmelter.com. I am the middle-aged mutant turtle rapper, and I'm here to hopefully help you be at ease. Go ahead, Jakey. Set the room. Everyone is doing well. Happy Friday. We are in the breakfast with champions today. Uh, Dave's been doing free Friday training for over 23 years. Today's topic is BYOQ. You bring the questions, Dave will bring the answers. We have 15 minutes left, so if anyone has a question they'd like to ask here on Clubhouse, just feel free to raise your hand or back channel me. Let's continue to share the room here on Clubhouse. There's a little square with an arrow at the bottom. If you push that, you can, you can share your text messages on Clubhouse and any of your favorite social media platforms. And yes, once again, we are here in Phoenix. They will be hosting a 
a free Friday meetup, a meetup today at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time at the Phoenix Convention Center at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time. Mountain time, actually. 12.30 p.m. Mountain time. <laughs> right if on. If anyone would like to join, then we will see you there. And then, yes, if anyone would like any of David's trainings or guides, just feel free to email him, David at dmelter.com, David at dmelter.com. So, Dave, do you want to take another question on the webinar? And then when you're back, we'll bring up Monica here on Clubhouse. Yeah, I do. And I want to thank everyone on the webinar. I can't believe we're over 80,000 people registered this week. And my uh, mission and trajectory is to go over 100,000 as fast as I can. So invite your friends, family to join us. Just have them email me. We'll get them registered for our webinar series uh, training, which are all free. So we're all good there. The question is, what is one skill that you wish you had or were better at? That's easy whether it was when I was 15, 25, 35, 45, or 55, the greatest skill that I believe that I can have or help people have is the ability to ask for help, uh, to be more interested than interesting, aligned with being kind to my future self and doing good deeds is one skill. The ability to live in abundance of more than enough, a value-add world where I'm confident that when I ask for help, I'm actually adding value to the person who I'm asking help from instead of taking away in a quid pro quo transactional methodology or mechanism. It's simple. We all need to practice asking for help. It is the best way to change the world. We are maximizing everyone's potential when we ask for help, when we find people who sit in a situation that we wanna be in, when we find people who can bring the best out of us, when we find people who can teach us how to get to where they're at. In all of those, the one common denominator is we need to have the skill of ignorant humility, of abundance, of asking for help, and not just help of other people, but help from content, help from the podcasts and the books and the TV shows and the movies that we have, asking for help from the incredible amount of data that is out there, and most importantly, asking for help from the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source praying every day in hope and faith that I'm being protected and promoting, asking for help, for the power and light and love and lessons in order to effectuate compounding of our interest, aggregation of our interest and acceleration to the lessons, the love and the light that we are seeking. Please, everyone, let's all help each other with the skill of asking for help. Find people who sit in a situation that we wanna be in, ask them for direction, find people who can teach us or other pieces of content as well. And then find things, surround ourselves with the right people and the right idea who bring the best out of us. Don't surround yourself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas. Don't surround yourself with interference. Don't surround yourself with influence. Surround yourself with influence. Get into the flow with me. Let's all identify what we're doing to interfere with what we already are. Happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. Let's maximize our potential of each other every day by asking for help. I keep practicing it. I want you to do the same. We all will be better off by practicing asking for help. All right, Jake, what's and where can I find the next question? You got it. Let's bring up Monica here on Clubhouse. Welcome, Monica. Hey, good morning. Good to see you, see you again, David. Thank um, you. <laughs> and I'm glad you said what you just did because I was going to uh, just share something that happened to me because I follow your advice so, so uh, you know, consistently to continue to ask because what happened recently was I was thinking, I, I got to move out of Tampa, I'm not meeting anybody, and then I met this one guy at Clubhouse 
turns out he's a very connected guy here in Tampa, and he told me where to go and how to meet people, and it was just one of those moments of miracles that happen, you know, when you stop thinking that you don't have what you need, or you get caught in the guilt or the suffering around where you think you find yourself. I just wanted to ask you that. Like, I know you went through bankruptcy. I know you went through bottoming out at, at some point. What what turned the what made you turn the corner? Like, how did you get yourself out of that horrible place of you know feeling that sense of failure? Yeah, no, it was an incredible sense of failure um, and shame uh, and blame and justification. And so, for me, understanding uh, number one the three stages of accountability and the protection and promotion that uh, is inherent within the pain, the setbacks and mistakes that I had made. And so when I started at the first level of accountability of saying, what did I do to be responsible for this? What did I do? And what am I supposed to learn from it? Starting to change my philosophy to what a great opportunity it was to take responsibility for the mistakes that I made and pain that I caused and to learn from it. And then a second level of accountability as I worked through the responsibility aspect of that. And the responsibility aspect of that said, you know, what did I do to be, you know, create this and be responsible for it and stand up for it, not blame others, but instead, what did I do to attract this to myself? So beyond what I did and said, now where, where was my inherent energetic and genetic inheritance laying into some sort of law of attraction uh, that I had surrounded myself with the wrong people, and the wrong ideas that, you know, my tribe was my vibe and I was putting out a vibe of dis-ease, not of ease. And I was putting out a vibe of influence, spreading the flu, not the flow. And all of those things as I, matured from the point of pain, from being punished, from living in shame and blame and justification of losing everything, I then realized the third level of accountability. As I sought the lessons in the light in my responsibility, and I sought the lessons in the light in my attraction of it, I then realized the higher level of accountability. No longer would I live below the line in blame, shame, and justification because there's always the ability to blame others, to justify why we aren't where we want to be, and to live in shame for doing so because we know the truth, that we are responsible, we did attract it, but most importantly, I had to change the participation I was having in my bankruptcy. I had to change my participation from punishment to protection and promotion. I had to change my mindset, my heart set and my handset because my basement had a basement. Not only did I lose everything and have so many homes, golf course, ski mountain, so many things I bought to be happy, so many things I bought to impress other people, so many things I bought to impress people I didn't even like, so many things I bought I didn't need. Instead, I had to change and grow from the light, the love, and the lessons, and participate in a perception, not of punishment, not of blame, shame, and justification. I had to, when I told my mom, the only reason I wanted to be rich was to buy her a house, and I lost her house because I didn't put 
the house outside of my name. And I had to tell her not only did I lose everything, but she had to move. I started to realize that I was participating in the wrong perception. The perception that I was in control. And when I participated in a perception that no longer would I live in a world of not enough being punished or just enough buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like, when I could participate in a perception of abundance of instead of a zero sum game of giving to receive, but instead where giving, receiving, and witnessing are all one in a world that is accelerating, growing, compounding, and aggregating in a trajectory of what I wanted. When I lived inside of the idea that I am, not that I need more. No longer would I live. I need more happiness, more health, more wealth, and more worthiness. Instead, I am. I am that I am. I am happy. I am healthy. I am wealthy. I am worthy because I am connected to and through an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source that loves me more than my mom and is protecting and promoting me through pain, setbacks, failures, and mistakes to grab my attention as if I was reaching out to touch a burning stove. And instead, when I'm slapped and yelled at by the source that's omniscient and all-powerful, I know he's not punishing me. She's not punishing me. It's not punishing me. Instead, I'm being protected and promoted just as if I was putting my hand in a fire. So when I don't get the job and I lose all my money and I lose my friends and I lost my wife or I lost the kid or whatever else terrible may happen, I know that I don't know what I don't know and I'm being protected and promoted. And that's what shifted my paradigm. I shifted my paradigm because I have faith that there was something bigger than me. No longer was I in charge. I remember telling my mom at the time, I don't believe in God. My mom's a faithful woman, lives her life in faith. And she said to me, oh, son, you believe in God. You just believe in the wrong God. And when I shift my paradigm from putting my perception of responsibility, attraction, and participation into that which I believe today, of abundance, no longer not enough, just enough, but instead more than enough. I slowly but surely progressed over the last 17 years. Did it happen overnight? Not a chance. I went from days, weeks, months, and years in disease to minutes and moments today. I still practice. I just spend minutes and moments where I used to spend days, weeks, months, and years. What a terrific question. I appreciate you allowing me to illuminate and share the challenges that I've faced and others face every single day, especially as the economy is turning down. And I'm happy once again, I go through this uh, in my book to send that out to you. Uh, I will pay for the book shipping. Don't worry. Just email me. I appreciate it. Jake, we have time for one more question. What do you say? That sounds great. Thank you so much. Everyone is flashing their mics. Thank you so much, everyone. Dave, yes, you got three minutes. Why don't you take the last question on the webinar and then we can close it out here. Okay. That sounds great. I want to thank everyone. Uh, for your questions, if I didn't get to them, just email me. I'll be happy to get to them. I do answer them all myself. Uh, they'll be cryptic and short or just have a guide that answers it as well. Um, but here it goes. How do you take your side hustle from a side hustle to a full-time opportunity? Uh, so the only way to take a side hustle to a full-time opportunity is to do a timing and risk tolerance analysis first. And within the timing and risk tolerance analysis, determine how much time and risk you want to put on your full-time opportunity today 
uh, by paying attention and giving attention to it in order to produce enough time and handle the risk tolerance of the side hustle. And sooner than later, they will flip flop. So I put my attention and intention in alignment with the timing and risk tolerance of my current full-time opportunity until I get better at it or alignment with the timing and risk tolerance of the side opportunity. And pretty soon they flip. And so one of the easiest ways to change a side hustle to a full-time hustle is to do better at your current full-time hustle in alignment with your timing and risk tolerance in order to effectuate two things, more time and more opportunity. And as you get better at your current opportunity to create more time and more opportunity, it then decreases the amount of time and risk involved with focusing primarily on your side hustle. And pretty soon they transverse or flip into each other. Too many people try to do both at the same time and they end up dissipating and dissolving both opportunities. So utilizing your timing and risk tolerance, focusing on the one opportunity that will provide you the most money, time and opportunity, which then will allow you to have options, opportunities and touches of favor within whichever opportunity, the side hustle or the primary opportunity that you focus in on that allows your side opportunity to become your primary one if it's aligned with your timing and risk tolerance and your skills, your knowledge and desire. It is a big mistake to try to do both and focus in on both. Utilize alignment with timing and risk tolerance. Focus in on which other opportunity gives you the most time, money, and options because more time, more money, and more options you have, the greater chance or statistical success you'll have in either or opportunity. But don't put equal focus into on both unless that's your timing and risk tolerance. So uh, this is a proven methodology of attention and intention, which equals the coincidences. Too many people dissipate and dissolve opportunities by spreading themselves too thin or not being aligned with their timing and risk tolerance. All right. It is here in Mountain Time, 9 a.m., 8 a.m. in the Pacific time. We are here at the Super Bowl. Come see us at 1230. Please, everybody, email me if you want any of the exercises, guides, or my book. I'll pay for the book, exercises, guides, and shipping. Not a problem. Please, david at dmelzer.com. Remember, most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Jake, go ahead and close out the room. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll see you soon. David at dmeltzer.com.